For those of you that have been around generate whoa, for those of you that have been around generations for a long time, can I ask you a question? Are these virtues just for kids? No. No. We often learn a lot about ourselves and each other with these virtues. So kids, over the next year, you're actually going to be covering the entire Bible cover to cover in G-Town. You started in September with the creation story and fall. And by the time you get to next August, you will have covered the big parts of the Bible. And this month, you're going to zero in on a couple of people, Moses and Joseph. And today I want to talk to you about Joseph. Joseph was one of 12 brothers. Let me say that again. He was one of 12 <laughs> brothers. That was 22, but all right. 12 <laughs> Math was hard. <laughs> Math was hard. So Joseph was also the youngest. So all 11 brothers that he had were older brothers. Now, one of the things that Joseph's father did is Joseph's father favored him, which meant that he, he kind of loved Joseph more than he loved all of his other sons. And when Joseph became a teenager, his father gave him a special cloak. And it, had, it was made of lots of different colors. But the Bible tells us that the cloak had long sleeves. And back then, long sleeves meant that you were the boss. So what Joseph's father did was Joseph's father made him the boss of all of his older brothers when he was just a teenager. So Zeke, imagine having a meeting this week with your mom. And she sits you down and she says, look, I've got news for you. This is how things are going to be. Lucy's now the boss. So when you want extra screen, don't, don't shake your head at me. <laughs> when you want extra screen time, when you want to do stuff, she's going to be the person that says yes or no. She speaks for me. She has my authority. And you got to do what she says. Right. 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 Ella, imagine having a sit-down meeting this week at Team Tompkinville. And Karen sits you down and she says, look, I got news for you. Amelia is now the boss. Even though she's your little sister, you want to try out for plays, you want to do stuff, she's the one that's going to give you permission. She speaks for me. She has my authority. <laughs> so, so, right, there would be more cats. So there's still, there's still some attitude that came out just now at the mere thought of your younger brother or sister, in this case, your younger sister being the boss of you, that's exactly how Joseph's brothers felt. They were angry, they were jealous, and they kind of hated him a little bit. To make matters worse, so he gets this coat of many colors, to make matters worse, Joseph started having dreams. And in these dreams, the wheat was kind of in the wind, kind of bowing to him, and through the dreams that God spoke to him and said, someday, one day, all your brothers are going to bow down to you. In fact, everybody in your family is going to bow to you. And Joseph thought to himself, wow, I'm going to be somebody. I'm going to be important. I'm going to be in charge. And he couldn't wait to tell, guess who? All of his brothers. Hey, guess what the dream that I had? Guess what God's going to do in my life? Isn't this awesome? Now, Joseph's brothers were already having to go to him because their father had put him in charge. And now he's having these kind of dreams. If you were one of Joseph's brothers, you were thinking, this kid's got problems. This kid's got problems. And so 
One day when they were working far away from the family home, because they had cattle and all kinds of animals that they had to take care of, when they were way far out, jo uh, Joseph's father sent him to go check on the worker brothers. And so he shows up and they throw him into a pit. And while, they're, while he's in the pit, they have a, an argument amongst themselves. We should kill him. And then some of them are like, no, no, we shouldn't do that. He's our brother. And while they're having this argument, a group of Ishmaelites travel along the road, which is right nearby where they're at. Ishmaelites were traders, and they were going to Egypt. Everybody went to Egypt to buy and sell goods. Everybody. And they all traveled down this road to go to Egypt to buy stuff, to go to Egypt to sell stuff. And the brothers made an agreement. They would sell Joseph to these Ishmaelites. And so Joseph became a slave. Kids, I don't know if you know this, but even today, it's the case. You can become a slave, right? Slaves are people that people own. And when you're a slave, you don't get a say. You have to do whatever your master tells you. It's bad in a lot of ways, okay? And so Joseph is sold to these Ishmaelites. And they go to Egypt, and they, in turn, sell Joseph to another man named Potiphar, an Egyptian official. And Joseph goes to work for Potiphar. Now, Joseph works really hard, and he makes good decisions. And so Potiphar uh, promotes him and puts him in charge of things. But one day, Potiphar's wife wants Joseph to do something that he shouldn't do. And Joseph runs away, and she gets mad. And so she tells a lie, and she says, Joseph tried to hurt me. And so now Potiphar and all the household is up in a flurry. What do we do? What do we do? And so Potiphar arranged for Joseph to go to prison. And that's where Joseph ended up. Moms and dads, this is a good, a good picture of not only Joseph's life, but your life. The old timers like to call this peaks and valleys. <laughs> peaks and valleys. Joseph is his father's favorite son. He's put in charge of all of his brothers, but they sell him into slavery. He manages to be put in charge of all of Potiphar's households, but then he gets in trouble and he's sent to prison. And while he's in prison, the same thing happens. He's put in charge of things. And so around Genesis chapter 40, uh, Joseph has given an opportunity to interpret some dreams. There's a couple of other people in prison with him, a baker uh, and another official, and I can't remember the other official, the cupbearer and the baker. And so they have two jobs working for Pharaoh, the man in charge of all of Egypt. And so while they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed they were upset. Why do you look so worried today? Joseph asked them. Well, we both had dreams, but no one can tell us what they mean. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph said. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. And each man told Joseph their dream. And Joseph interpreted the dreams correctly. And they both promised, when we get out of here, when we get out of jail, we're going to tell Pharaoh that you're here wrongly accused and wrongly imprisoned, and we'll help get you out of jail. And so they leave, and guess what happens? Say that louder, Danita. Nothing. Joseph stays in jail. 
And that's where I'm going to end the story today. Kids, you can ask your mom and dad what happened later. But Joseph stayed in jail. There's a key phrase that happens throughout all of these verses of Scripture, and it's repeated over and over again. And the phrase is simply this, Genesis 39, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. This is one of those times where I encourage you to insert your name there. The Lord was with Max, Brian, Kate, Amanda, <laughs> Lefty. The Lord was with Jema. The Lord was with Michaela. The Lord was with Zeke. The Lord is actually with you, even when you don't feel like it, even when you don't see it with your eyes, which is why grit is so important. I'll go back to this one picture. We're defining grit as refusing to give up when life gets hard. I'm going to tell you right now, there are going to be some moments when you're going to want to quit. You're going to want to quit. You're going to want to give up. Angela Duckworth, a decade ago, wrote a book on grit called The Power and Passion of Perseverance. <laughs> glory, glory. Uh, and she says there are a couple of key things in cultivating grit. So moms and dads, I want to talk to you for a moment. If you've got kids still living at home, it is critically important for them to develop grit and grittiness. And helping them do that is a key thing. And we want to partner with you to that. One, one aspect of grit is knowing your purpose, knowing why you're moving in a particular direction, why you're committed to something. A second thing is hanging out with gritty people. For example, let's say that you really like someone and they really like you and you're thinking, well, I don't know. I think this could end up in marriage someday. What do you think? It's good in that season to spend some time with people who've been married, say, 30 or 40 years, who've had some grittiness when it comes to marriage. Um, and then the final thing that uh, Angela Duckworth lays out is develop a growth mindset. And since this is church and I should speak truthfully, your pastor did not have a growth mindset when he was a kid, when he was a teenager, when he was a young adult. And so I want to contrast that for a moment. Carol Dweck says in a, a different uh, expert, she says there's two mindsets that you can develop. A growth mindset is going to help you develop grittiness or grit. A fixed mindset is going to hamper that. A fixed mindset avoids challenges, gives up easily, sees effort as fruitless, doesn't take criticism very well and feels threatened by the success of other people. A growth mindset embraces challenges, persists in the face of setbacks, sees effort as a path to mastery, learns from criticism, and finds lessons and inspiration in the success of others. Here are some kind of quotes that come out of the mouths of people with fixed mindsets. I'm either good at it or I'm not. Oh, well, no use trying. My potential's predetermined. You know, when I'm frustrated, I just give up. Why try? Why bother? I stick to what I know. Feedback and criticism, you know, are personal. It always is. Fixed mindset. Growth mindset, on the other hand, challenges help me grow. I like to try new things. Failure is an opportunity. I can learn or do anything that I want. Here's why this is important. I've told this story before, but I want to tell it again. I play the alto saxophone. <gasps> what? 
I play the alto saxophone. I've not played the alto saxophone much for all y'all, because there's more than five of you. I've not played the alto saxophone for all y'all very much, but I play the alto saxophone. And I started when I was in fifth grade. And then I played saxophone in sixth grade. And then I played saxophone in seventh grade. And then I got Mr. Sills. Thank you very much. And I got A's in every other subject except, guess what? Band. Band, I was getting B minus, C plus, C plus, B minus, C, C minus, B minus. And I got mad at Mr. Sills and I went into his office and I gave him the what for. And I said, Mr. Sills, why are you giving me B minuses and C pluses? And he looked at me and he called all the middle schoolers by their last names. And he said, Mr. Vanderpool, I do not give grades in band. Grades are earned. And as I explained on the first day of class, if you want an A in band, you will practice five days a week, 20 minutes a day. And you will fill out a practice form and you will submit it every Friday. And that form will be signed by your parents. If it's not signed by your parents, you didn't practice. You get zero for the week. I made this clear on the first day of class. What part did you not understand? And at this point, my anger was getting even hotter. And I was like, are you telling me I have to practice to get an A? And he said, that's exactly it. And that week, I was so mad. I didn't just practice five times. I practiced six times. I didn't just practice for 20 minutes. I practiced for 30 minutes because I was going to show him, Mr. Sills. Now, as it turns out, that year in band, there were nine, nine saxophone players. And at the beginning of the year, you do these things called tryouts. And every saxophonist plays a piece. And then the, the, the conductor, the director, seats them in order of talent and ability. Best to worst. That year, I was ninth chair. Ninth chair. Shocker. <laughs> and so I practice and practice. And I practice so much, my parents were getting frustrated. And I remember a time when my mom and dad came to me and they were like, son, don't you think you're taking this band stuff a little too seriously? <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to get an A, dadgummit. And so at the end of that year, I had brought my C pluses and B minuses up to A's in band. And then I went to summer and then I came back and we had tryouts again. And do you know the funniest thing happened? I became first chair. With just one year of practicing six days a week. In fact, it's even worse than that. Five years later, I got admitted into a conservatory of music based on my audition. What? What? Here's what I know. You need grittiness in life. Thank God I had some grittiness and anger with Mr. Sills to keep practicing and practicing and to see it through. But you need some grittiness in life. You need the ability to stick with things, even when they're hard, even when you want to give up, even when you want to, go, want to walk away, which is why it's important to get you some grits and hang out with some gritty people. God will work this in you because God is a gritty God. I don't know if you know this, but God does not give up. God does not give up. God does not give up on you. God does not give up on your hopes and dreams. God does not give up on you as his adopted son or daughter. God does not give up on the church. Hallelujah. God does not give up on the church. God does not give up. And in this way, when we cultivate grittiness by the work of the Holy Spirit in us, we become more like our heavenly father.